You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now... Here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully, you all had a great weekend. I know I had an absolutely awesome weekend. Uh, Got to spend time with friends and family in actually beautiful weather. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was right in the middle. You know, did a lot of things with the kids, Uh, went to a dinner party with some uh, friends from high school and uh, sold some stuff that we don't use anymore at a garage sale. And what else did we do? We went on a walk. We went on a hike. We played outside until, you know, the sun went down. One of those type of weekends. So had a lot of time with spent with a family and it all really started this past Friday I got out of work and I drove to Traer Iowa and that is the home of Rubline Marketing it's where they have their headquarters at and I spoke with the owner slash president Chase Rolfson of Rubline Marketing and we sat in their warehouse slash shop slash shooting range and just had a really in-depth, detailed conversation about the hunting industry uh, from a marketing standpoint, because it's something that we as consumers don't really get to hear a lot, is actually how some of these hunting companies are marketing their products towards us, the people who are buying them. So we just had a really cool conversation. Uh, It's pretty badass and uh, you're not going to get this type of information really anywhere else. And uh, that's why when I, when uh, Chase and I first made contacts, I'm like, Hey man, you got to, you okay with coming on the uh, podcast and uh, sharing some information? He's like, absolutely. So uh, that's what today's podcast is about now. 
You guys know I am a huge fan of Lone Wolf tree stands. They are quiet, they are durable, they're made in America, and they are adjustable so you don't need to sit in a completely straight tree. You guys already know most of that stuff. But we are going to be giving away a really good amount of Lone Wolf gear this upcoming summer, and it's going to be in a giveaway form, and we're going to offer it to the listeners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. So here's how to enter. You need to go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash the number nine fingers. So lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. And it's going to ask you to enter in your name. It's going to ask you to enter in your email address. And by doing that, you will be entered in for in, entered into that uh, giveaway drawing. And uh, we're going to start picking um, names, I think, uh, midsummer, uh, so we can get this product out before the hunting season. And, uh, there's a little added bonus with that as well, and uh, it might be a little bit of uh, there's a pro. Let me just say that there is a promo code that uh, you get once you sign up, and uh, definitely something that uh, I highly recommend everybody does. So go to LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com/slash-nine-fingers and sign up for the giveaway. And uh, yeah, so now let's get into today's. I guess, in first ever industry insider with Chase Rolfson of Rubline Marketing. And we're here in the Rubline Marketing headquarters, and I'm sitting here today with Chase Rolfson. How are you doing today, Chase? Good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing good. I tell you what, this is my first remote podcast that I've ever done. So this is going to go great or it's going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I love to be first, so hopefully it'll go all right. <laughs> amen. Amen. All right. So, man, I just want to kind of talk today about marketing. You're a marketing company. I want to talk about how companies try to attract hunters to buy hunting products. And then uh, basically this is a BS session, so we'll we'll talk with you know, just about everything. But uh, the first thing I want to talk about, and probably most importantly, is how did your 2016 season go? Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, at first glance, outsider looking in, you'd say, if you work in the hunting industry, right, you must hunt all the time. Right. And uh, we opened this company in 2008. And I will say that uh, I hunted a lot more before I was in the industry um, versus now. (laughs) Um, However, that being said, um, my 2016 season was probably the shortest season I've ever had. Okay. Um, I hunted two days. Um, in fact, uh, one of the days was a complete bust because I am still human. Uh, my farm is two and a half hours um, from um, where my office and my home is. Right. And uh, hopefully some of your listeners have done this, so I'm not a complete idiot, but I get down there and I open my bow case and uh, guess what's not in there is my release. <laughs> um, so that afternoon was a... Uh, I guess we'll call it a viewing session. You didn't try to finger it? Uh, no, there was no, <laughs> uh, I'm not that talented with a bow. But um, anyway, uh, late November, um, actually one of my clients who um, he and I share a lease with, um, he just, he kept pounding me and talking me into like, you got to get out, you got to get out. 
And I thought, well, it's kind of work, right? right. Um, I'm with a client, so I, I don't feel guilty <laughs> about sneaking out of the office. And so uh, Jeff Peel with Tacticam, um, great company, great people. He forced me out. It was it was a terrible day to go out. I mean, it was like 40-mile-an-hour winds. Right. So I picked the biggest tree on the farm right? Um, where I would only be up about 10 feet. And uh, I shot a deer that we knew very, very well from trail cameras. We called him Combine. And uh, I ended up shooting the largest deer of my hunting career. He was a 181-inch 10-pointer. Awesome. So, awesome. And, by the way, it was the fastest hunt. So I finally get out. Uh, I got into the stand about 1245 in the afternoon. It's late November. And uh, I was in and out recovering the deer. My whole sit was probably 40 minutes. Nice. So, Well, I tell you what. I had a really short season this year, too. It was two days. And those are welcomed certain times, especially if the wife is unhappy with you. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, was this a buck that you've had history with over the years? He is. Um, he was special for me because um, I had actually passed him. Um, uh, the year before, in 2015, I brought um, – so hopefully some of your listeners are familiar with Tacticam. It's a little point-of-view camera that is right. a weapon-mounted camera. Right. And uh, so you get back to camp, and that's what's so fun about this lease. There's several of us on it. And uh, you get back, and I said, man, I just passed a great deer. I think he's just going to be a giant next year. And we plugged that little card in, and everybody sat around the laptop, you know, watched it, and they thought I was insane. They said, <laughs> you just passed a 165-inch deer. Right. And I said, you know, I just thought he, he needed another year. And that's really not my style. I mean, if they're a mature deer, I'm going to shoot him. Right. How old was this buck? Um, so when I passed him, he was a five-year-old. Okay. Um, and I just felt like there was that potential. But there's so many bucks out there. It wasn't – I didn't pass it because I'm a great hunter. Right. I didn't pass him because any other reason. I just thought, well, there's a lot of other mature animals that probably aren't going to make as big a jump as this deer is right. from five to six. Right. So it was luck. It was grace of God. It was just uh, – I'm going to go back to just pure luck. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, um, you hear all these great stories like, oh, he's, you know, this and this with this buck. <laughs> I picked a tree because it was the biggest tree. And I felt like in a 40 mile an hour wind, I was the safest. Right. Event. Right. Um, and so that's why I sat there. We knew he was in the area, but there was nothing strategic about it, except I didn't, didn't want to get blown out of a tree. Right. And, uh, I hit, um, so I started using this, this rattle bag, which isn't anything fancy. It's, um by a company called Cherokee Sports. It's just a black rattle bag. Yeah. But it's super loud. And I banged those horns, I mean, as loud as I could. And he he heard it, and he come right to the base of the tree. I shot him at – it was a chip shot. It was like eight yards. Right. And, um, you know, I just got lucky. And so I didn't have any, like, these fancy stories about did I know the deer? <laughs> yes, I passed him last year. But that particular year, that hunt, I just got lucky. Yeah. And – I think that's what's so much fun about hunting is, is sometimes sure. you just get lucky. If I if I was luckier in golf, I'd probably play golf more, but I'm never lucky in golf, so I just don't play golf. Right. And every once in a while, every few years, you get lucky in hunting, right? That's right. That's right. This year was one of those years definitely for me. Did you make any out-of-state trips this year? So, um, you know, I, I turned 40 in 2016. Okay. And um, I had a bucket list item. And it was to shoot a velvet mule deer. Okay. Um, that was a big deal for me, but it's a, that's an expensive hunt. I believe it. Um, and so it was nothing financially that I could ever really justify doing. And I guess some people call it a midlife crisis maybe. Right. Um, there was two things I did in 2016 that I can attribute to my midlife crisis. Um, one of them was I bought a Jeep Wrangler, which is a completely <laughs> impractical vehicle. Um, you know, they're cool and this and that, but, uh, let's face it, you, you know, right. they're impractical. 
Um, so I bought an impractical vehicle. Okay. Um, and I booked a velvet mule deer hunt. Nice. And I went to Southern Colorado. Um, it was an unbelievable experience. It was spot and stalk. It's a completely different animal than whitetail. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a whitetail fanatic. And then to go out there and, and actually like use, I'll never forget it. I thought I was just crazy. I'm using this cow Montana decoy thingy. And I'd heard about Montana decoys. I'd never really had one in my hand. Yeah. And it's a piece of cloth. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And sure enough, we're stalking up and getting close to these mule deer. And they, they see cattle a lot. So it didn't really spook them. And um, that, and, you know, finally we get busted because there's a lot of eyeballs. And then, you know, we're belly crawling through like these little cedar thickets and pine thickets. And a completely different style of hunting. Um, and I got to harvest. You know, he's not a giant. Um, he's probably... For Southern Colorado, I think he's he's probably low 170s. We never put tape to him, but maybe mid 170s at best. Um, and we were surrounded by 180s, 190s out there. Yeah. Some of them even 200. But that was a hunt that absolutely had nothing to do with the size of the horns. Or, you know, taking that trophy, it was an out-of-state deal. Um, our creative director and very, very good friend of mine, uh, Brian Smith, was along. He filmed it. Um, we were out there on the Hartize Ranch, which is known for just absolute giants. And I checked that item off my bucket list. And man, when I got my hands around that velvet buck, it was it was a surreal experience. Right. So, right. Yeah. so just how men are, that's been checked off your bucket list. Now, yes. what's next on your bucket list? Um, so it's uh, it, I'm going to do it actually this um, next month. Um, and I will say it wasn't even my bucket list item the actual hunt but gotcha. um my son who is 17 he's a he's an avid outdoorsman um i have a picture when he he harvested his first archery buck when he was 14 and i have a picture of him pulling this recurve bow back um i think he was about two and a half three years old and the caption i put on this picture was a side by side of him at like three and him at 14 with bow in hand and yeah. of course 14 he's got his animal with him and the caption was, some kids never learned how to play video games. Yeah. Um, and he really hasn't. I mean, he still to this day, he couldn't, he couldn't run a PlayStation properly to save <laughs> his life. Well, that's good. It is. Um, he's always wanted to, to shoot a, a black bear. Okay. And so I surprised him, and um, I booked him a black bear hunt, and I'm going with. Nice. Um, we're going to drive all the way up to Saskatchewan. You know, we could have flown and this and that, but I wanted that, that bonding time. Because he's 17. I'm going to lose him here in a few years, right? Yeah. College and you know, girls. girls. <laughs> so you, you start to realize as a father how limited your time is with your kids right. when they start to get that age, and it scares you. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember how I was, and your priorities change, and you maybe eventually one day he's going to have a family. And so the bucket list item is to go on a black bear hunt with my son, um, spend a lot of time, the off time. It's a, it's a very non-stressful hunt, right? Yep. Um, you're hunting over bait, mm -hmm. um, so there's not that um, – uh, and, and I don't want to take away anything away from black bear hunters because that's not it. Right. Um, but I wanted that low stress, just enjoy, sit back in nature, way up in Canada, fish, you know, in the mornings. Um, so that's the next bucket list item is uh, I'll be on my first black bear hunt with my best friend, my son. Awesome. Yeah. What state's that going to be in? So it will be up in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, that. that yep. And okay. uh, I think when I GPSed it, it's a 22-hour drive. So. You're going to get to know your son yeah, really yeah. good. I guess I'll get to um, <laughs> I'll get to hopefully prep him a little bit more for life. Maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll call that. <laughs> I can remember some long drives that I went on with my dad, and uh, we would go up to Bodette, Minnesota, 
and then take an airplane to an island that my great uncle owned property on. We'd go out there walleye fishing and, oh, yeah. and basically just hang out for a, a long weekend, long week. And just like the stuff dads tell you then don't register then, but they do today. So that should be, uh, that should be pretty interesting. You know, um, I, I'll tell you a quick little story about him. Uh, I'll brag him up about his 2016 season. So like I said, our farm's about two and a half hours from where we live, and, and he's a big football player. It takes up a lot of his time. Yep. So they had school off on a Monday. The coach gave him practice off, and uh, it was like October, I want to say, 5th or 6th. Gotcha. So I had something going on for work that weekend, and he came to me and he said, um, Dad, I want to go down to the farm, and I want to try to, you know, I got a couple days. I got Sunday and Monday to try to shoot a deer. Yeah. And uh, that's a big step. So, you know, at the time he was 16, um, and dad's got to make a decision. And, well, then secondly, dad's going to, if he makes that decision of, yes, you can go, he's got to talk mom into it. Right. Um, he says, I'm going to go down there. I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I've killed a lot of animals. I want to go down and hunt. By himself? By or himself. Okay. Yeah, by himself. And um, we're really lucky. Um, our neighbors are uh, Don and Candy Kiske. A lot yeah. of people know him from um, Whitetail Freaks. They're our neighbors. Um, they're great people, you know, and I knew if he got into trouble, I could call Don or Candy and, and yeah. they could come bail him out. So I said, okay, you can go. Well, at the last minute, uh, he's got his truck packed and everything's ready to go. He springs it on me that says, Hey, I'm going to take my girlfriend down. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's how you become a granddad, right? That's exactly <laughs> right. So I'm thinking, oh, geez. Okay. So now I got to tell his mother, right? that he's taking his girlfriend down. But um, all the hunters that listen to this podcast, they're going to appreciate this. But he springs on, he says, well, Dad, I'm going to have her film it because I'm going to kill a giant deer. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, great justification. <laughs> so the little stinker uh, somehow talks his dad into it. He goes down there, and um, and he does, I'll say this, he deserves it, right? He's All summer he's helping me put in food plots. Yep. Um, we do a lot of, you know, fence repair um, the kid puts the sweat equity in, so right. he doesn't get anything handed to him. So I kind of take that into consideration and say, okay, well, right away, um, he gets down there and, um, that next morning, it was that Sunday morning. He texts me and he says, uh, well, last night was a bust. Coyote came through the field, um, ruined my hunt. But he says, man, this morning I saw deer we call splits. Mm -hmm. Splits is a giant deer. Both the neighbors and I know the deer real well, um, and I said, wow, that's great, you know. Um, I said, what was he doing? He says, well, it looks like he was going back to bed. And I says, perfect, so you're going to sit there this afternoon. And he says, no, I'm going to move. Now, why would you move, right? Right. So I lecture him. You know, I'm giving him the fatherly advice, like, don't move. You know he's coming back there. He's going to be back there in the afternoon. He's going to a food source. Just leave him alone. He says, no. He says, as early as that was, he says, I think he's bedded deep in the timber. He says, we've got this little clearing in the middle of the kind of in the middle of the farm, and he says, I'm going to move up to the middle of the farm because I think I know where he's going. You're 16. Okay, I'll give you that you talked me, talk me into letting you go down with your right. girlfriend. Right. But you don't know that much about deer hunting. Right. Whatever. He's going <laughs> to ruin his hunt. But they, you got you to let him learn, right? That's right. Um, he texts me at 4.50 in the afternoon, and he put an arrow in him. Awesome. He was 170 and 5 eighths. He made a 42-yard shot, and... I'll be dang, his girlfriend caught it all on film. Jesus. What do you say? Like, he's never listening to his dad ever again. Right, right. Because he pulled it off. <laughs> and, uh, and and I was really proud of him. I mean, um, like I said, uh, Brian put together a really cool little video. Um, 
and he named it um, like father, like son. Yeah. And it's something that I'll be able to hold on to. I mean, I probably watched that video. You know, it's my son. I, I yeah. probably watched it a thousand times. Awesome. So that was a really cool, cool experience. And, and of course, I probably, I hopefully, you don't have a lot of um, law enforcement agents that listen to this podcast, <laughs> but when I found out he put an arrow in that deer, I didn't know my diesel truck didn't have a governor. <laughs> I mean, that was as fast as I could drive it down there. So, awesome. yeah, it was great. Awesome. Well, proud dad moment there. Yes. yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Rubline. All right. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about, you know, it, this is a, a marketing company, right? You market products in the hunting industry. Yeah, essentially. Yes. Okay. Yep. So the first thing I want to talk about is give me some company history of this product. When did it start? How did you come about to build this company? So when I got out of college, um, I worked for uh, General Motors. Um, General Motors is a huge company, obviously. Um, most people think of them as the cars, but General Motors had their fingers in a lot of things. They, you know, everything from uh, real estate to finance to banking. Um, and I went to work for more the financial side of General Motors. Um, I had a knack with math and, you know, I, um, I had some sales skills. And so um, I worked for that company for 12 years. It was probably the greatest experience because the education, um, the experiences that I got through life um, that they would provide um, it really set me on a great course. Right. Um, it was a phenomenal company to work for. And um, in 2008, as you can imagine, if any of you guys lived through 2008, um, if you were anywhere tied to the financial industry or the auto industry, yep. and I was tied to both, mm -hmm. double whammy. Yeah. Okay, job's gone. And I had climbed the corporate ladder. Um, I had the fancy title. I had a, you know, the more money than any Iowa boy could ever ask for. It was just an amazing opportunity. Right. Um, I spent a lot of time on planes, but you know, like I said, the, the experiences were worth it. So throughout that career, I bought a lot of, of advertising. I worked with a lot of media companies um, because when you have access to budgets like that, that General Motors had, right. um, you were allowed a lot of creative freedom. But I would get very frustrated um, with a lot of the media companies because, number one, they wouldn't listen to our vision. You know, we knew our customer. Right. Um, and they always had their own opinions. So it, it was kind of a, a back up a little bit. In the early 2000s, um, I was really fortunate to meet uh, Mark Drury. He bought a farm next to me. Um, we became friends, and we would just chat all the time. Yeah. And a lot of people might think, well, you talk about deer hunting all the time with Mark Drury. Um, and the part that they don't know about Mark and, and really the Drury Outdoors organization was they're amazing business people. Yeah. Um, they're successful because um, they run a business really well. They take care of their people. They, um, you know, they, they can really kind of see into the future is what I always would equate. They could see the trends coming. Um, and uh, I learned a lot from that. And we used to have just a lot of business conversations. So right around that 2008 mark, um, he had said, Mark had said to me, he says, you know, have you ever thought about kind of doing what you did for General Motors in the outdoor industry? He said, you know, there are so many companies that um, could benefit from your experiences outside of the industry. Yeah. And that took me all of about 30 seconds to think about. And I said, you know, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But it was a scary venture to really go out on my own and, and just do it. Right. Um, so I stayed in and, and, 
I kind of was doing dual roles. I started Rubline Marketing in 2008, uh, but I was still going in and dabbling in the financial side of things to where I would, um, you know, take on some short-term positions, um, companies that were looking to grow in the financial sector. I would come in, whether it would be a consulting role or, you know, a position within that they had a temporary goal that they needed to accomplish, so that's what I would do. But I had so much fun on this side that um, it was maybe a couple years, um, 2010-ish, and I just said, that's it, I'm out. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus everything on Rubline. And, um, and you know, it was kind of crazy how we came up with the name, but, you know, we all know, you know, when a buck makes a, a rub down a the line, they're, they're the dominant buck. You know, they want to they mark their territory. And so we thought, what a great name for a company is, is, you know, we want to build dominant brands. We want to, for sure. We want our clients to be that dominant force, and so that's kind of where it all came about. Okay. So you don't just start a business because <laughs> Mark Drury says, "Hey, you should start a business, right?" You got you got to come up with some kind of. You got to. Now ask yourself ca- this. <laughs> ask yourself this. If he told you to go sit a certain stand, would you sit it? More than likely. Absolutely right. <laughs> um, you know, there's capital involved. Yeah. There, you know, you you probably being in the industry that you were before there's a lot of research to be done why the what about the hunting industry made it so attractive for you to say okay i want to make some money in the hunting industry so um probably the first thing is um and and it's it's what i loved about the industry but it also is probably where i saw the most opportunity um the hunting industry is full of passion um if you look at so many of the products that you use today um, most of those were derived out of passion. They right. weren't, um, now today there's, there's these huge conglomerations and, and, you know, um, holding companies. Yes. Um, but they started the, the cores of those products started somewhere. Right. And they started with passion. Mm-hmm. A guy in his garage says, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Right. And, um, as I look around the office and I see so many of the products that we work with, so many of those are just built out of someone's um, passion for the sport. Right. The downside to that is, is because they're, they're passionate. Um, a lot of these companies will make decisions with maybe their heart. Right. Um, and not so much a financial sense. Right. Um, the greatest product in the world is never going to go anywhere if it doesn't have great marketing behind it. And frankly, financial resources, capital advertising. Right. Um, the ability to, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, um, you might think the dream is to, um, all of a sudden Walmart calls one day, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and says, we want your product in 4,000 stores. That's great. But the piece they don't always think about is, is that means you have to write a check to build that product. That's right. And so I got into this industry because I saw a phenomenal opportunity to bring financial sense and make sense decisions to a lot of these companies that had so much passion and right. heart. Right. Um, and that, that opportunity is really, um, I guess, what, what fueled us, and it's worked. I mean, if you look at our client list, um, we really kind of cater to that, that midsize and that small-size company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, the, the Plano Synergies of the world and the, and the um, you know, the Arcuses of the world, um, Pradco's, ATK, you know, they're phenomenal. They're, they're great companies, but they've got, they've got whole rooms and teams of, of guys like me, right. That they employ. And there was nobody out there that was going to take care of the small guy or the mid-sized guy that was really starting to get a few breaks. Right. Um, and so that's where we really kind of came in and we found our niche is, is 
you know, sometimes our clients don't like the advice we give them, right? right. Like, hey, you need to you need to back off of that, or you need to not spend money on that, or maybe we need to find some money and go spend money on that. Um, but we try to take everything from a real common sense approach because we want to see them here in five years, and ten years, and fifteen years to be able to grow that company into what their dream is. Right. So, so then is is rubline marketing? It's a little bit more than advertising, right? Is, it, is there a consulting is. role it, in that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, we probably don't, we don't toot our own horns enough about that. And that's something that I'm really proud of my staff. Um, I've got a phenomenal staff that, you know, surrounds me. And, and um, I, always, I, I had a great boss once that said, if you always hire people smarter than yourself, yep. you're going to look good. And so right. I try to do that. And I, I think we've done a pretty good job about that. Um, so... When we first take a look at a company, um, it's a necessary evil, but we look at the finances, right? Right. We look at what is their real, you know, cap working capital. What can they do? Um, and then you have to kind of bottom up it from there. Um, you can't just come in and say, wow, this is a great product. We need to dump a million dollars into it. Right. Um, so, and that's where my financial background comes in. Um, and that's, that's lent me really well to look at something and say, well, if the cost of goods is this, and the sale price is this, you know, and then you've got that difference. And then there's all these other factors. And, and that is, um, you know, do you have to air freight it from, from China? Because maybe it's a, a consumable that, you know, right. is manufactured there. If it's in the United States, you know, if, if um, the volume goes up, can the price go down on that cost of goods? Right. Um, if it's something that, uh, you know, goes to a, uh, a distributor and then that distributor sells it to a, a retailer, there's a couple people in there that get paid. Yeah. So there's a lot of those factors that have to go into that grunt call that you went out and picked up at Fleet Farm. Yeah. Um, there's so many factors in there that the guy that invented it came out of passion, but there's several steps in between before you get to that end consumer who's going to buy it. Right, right. So you started in 2008, right? Um, what kind of – how do you go about and say to – a room full of back in 2008. I mean, the industry was completely different in 2008 right. than, oh, than yes. it is today. <laughs> so I'm going to categorize the industry in 2008 as a good old boys club. Mm -hmm. All right. So you got a lot of people who are running the bu businesses the old way, mm -hmm. quote unquote. When we have this new digital technology, we have the internet, we have social media, all that kind of stuff. How do you walk into a room of good old boys and sell your idea to them that you're going to, you're going to take their hunting company to the next level? So, um, when we first got started, it was, it was, I wouldn't say easy, but it was a lot easier. Right. Right. Um, first of all, the, the idea of a marketing company was, um, you know, a company that, uh, had great graphic artists. Um, they could make a, a print ad super fancy. Uh, maybe they were running around with, you know, um, 4k was nowhere even near then back then but you know they had the great hd cameras and right. they could produce a commercial with a cool storyline and that was that was a marketing company right and um we were probably um i don't want to say the first to do it but again my experience was not in graphic design or commercial production or anything like that um, i was a big media buyer for general motors mm -hmm. and so i looked at it and said you know look guys you you know marketing is about a balanced diet and i would preach that over and over and say you know if you've got let's say a hundred thousand dollars to advertise your product or a million dollars to advertise your product you have to be balanced in that diet um, you don't go out and, and 
blow a million dollars on a TV show and then think you're going to have that results. You have to understand your consumer. You've got to look at them and say, do they use social media? Do they open deer and deer hunting? Are they flipping through Peterson's? Do they watch the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel, Pursuit Channel? There's a lot of metrics that are involved. And the key is, is you don't know where your consumer is going to be throughout the course of the year. So you have to try to figure that out and touch them multiple times. Right. Um, Hunters, especially hunters are a lot like, um, you know, they're a lot like golfers. They're uh, really any passion oriented Mm -hmm. sport. Um, They want to be able to research that product. It's not really too much of an impulse, but I think about the last bow you bought. And how many times you read the specs, you compared it to other bows. Um, so hunters, like they, they like to research. And so uh, really a good marketing person's job is to make sure that you get that um, exposure out there so they can find the research. And it's, wow, it's changed so much since 2008. I mean, you know, now, um, I, I, you know, my son, um, <laughs> I don't know if, yeah, I know you hunt down by Lee Likoski. So it'll be interesting to see if he ever listens to this. Uh, my son and I were down at Lee Likoski's place um, last fall, and uh, we walked out of there, and, and my son didn't really have a clue who he was. Yeah. Um, and and why is that, right? Well, yeah. he, he doesn't watch television. Yeah. Um, our future consumer, you know, our 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they don't watch television. Now, my father knows who Lee Likoski is. Your dad knows who Lee Likoski is because that generation is watching television. They're, yeah. they're, they're finding their entertainment value on television. And so we have to keep that in mind as marketers to understand that there's different demographics and um, you have to be able to, to reach all those demographics, which is where we call, um, you know, a balanced diet. And, right. and print, you'll hear people say all the time, print is dead. Yeah. And I completely disagree with that. Um, print is, is much, much smaller, of course. Right. But print's the ultimate validator, okay? When you pick up a magazine and you read an article, you know, um, and – there's an inclusion of a tip or a tactic or a product that that created success for that writer. It's a validator. It says, "Well, wait a minute, this is real." Yeah. Um, television, you know, reaches the masses. And um, I was in a seminar, Dan, that just blew me away um, a couple weeks ago, and they said that um, above the age of 35, those that watch TV, 82% of them have a mobile device in their hand yep. while they watch TV. Yep. And I find myself doing that. Maybe I'm watching a murder mystery show or I'm a big documentary guy and I'll find myself Googling what happened to that person or that missing, you know, that missing person or whatever before I ever watch the end of the show because it drives me nuts. So I got to Google it. (laughs) Um, And I think it's understanding those trends. Um, You know, even recently, you wouldn't believe how many of our clients, um, you know, they they hear it and they say, well, we got to go all digital. We got all digital. And they're going to do a great job reaching my son. Yeah. The problem is my son has no money. Right. Okay. So it's good that you are giving your impressions to, let's say, a younger generation for future purchases, but it may not help you today. Right. And so we don't look at it and say television is most important, print's the most important, or digital is the most important, or social. We say, look, you got to have a little bit of everything, and you've got to balance your diet. Right. Um, and that is really what makes our job so much fun is trying to figure out those trends. And, and, and you know what? Here's the kicker. We don't know it all. Right. Um, we are constantly learning. We're constantly trying to get ahead of the curve. And uh, I think that's what makes coming into work every day interesting is, right. is the research. For sure. So and, lo- and trying to figure those trends out. So, you know, you brought up kind of a good point. 
you know, said you said print not necessarily dead. Man, we got guys like me who are putting out podcasts, and there's a new podcast coming out almost every week. We got mm-hmm. guys who are doing their own web shows. I mean, because the technology is easier to handle than it was, you know, ten years ago. So, do you see the tele like the hunting television shows going away at any any point in the near future? I don't think I see them going away. I think um, if I have to try and predict what's going to happen, and and I could be way off, but I think you're going to see television shows really having to reinvent themselves. Right. Um, I think that television is, you know, everybody in America has a television in their their home, and a lot of times multiple televisions. Right. So when we say is TV going away, no. I think TV will have to evolve, and you'll see – your best producers reinventing themselves. Right. You're going to see them doing more live streaming events. Okay. You're going to see them accessing things like Apple TV, Roku, mm-hmm. um, same type of content, right? The, the hunting show, but they're going to have to find new delivery methods to get it on that TV. Um, you know, uh, I think the um, uh, the campaign for one of those um, streaming is is you know unplug, unplug your satellite dish, unplug your cable. Right. Um, and that's because streaming's becoming so big. Mm-hmm. Now, we're quite a few years out from that. There's a lot of guys that stream, but by no means is it taken over cable yet. Right. Um, but they have to look and see what the delivery method options are and take advantage of it. You know, you like you brought up podcasts. Um, why are podcasts becoming um, so popular? Why are they, you know, they're really like podcasts are kind of the new Facebook. I mean, right. I'm not saying podcasts haven't been around for a long time, but now they're really starting to gain a lot of traction and, and people are tuning in. And the reason is because they can do it on their time. Right. They can find your podcast when it's convenient for them. Maybe they're driving down to a hunt and they can plug in and listen to it. Um, maybe they've got to go up to their in-laws for Christmas, right? And it's three hours and the kids are driving crazy. <laughs> they can pop in those earbuds. For sure. And and the thing is, and that's where streaming has become such a big thing is because we live in a in a crazy busy world and um, technology has allowed us to do a little bit more things on our own time right and uh, DVRs you know have helped with that with television Um, but let's face it it's still a um, it's still a a forethought right I have to know ahead of time that I want to um, you know record this show Mm mm-hmm um, versus the ability to go back and say, oh, I've got a free few moments here. I'm going to search Vimeo for gator hunts Yeah. because I've always dreamed of going on a gator hunt. Or, you know what, I don't want to listen to the kids screaming in the background. You know, I want to pop in Nine Finger Chronicles, and, and I just want to chill out and listen to some guys talk hunting. Yeah. So I think the television shows, they've got to reinvent themselves. I think that the online, um, they have to be careful. Um, there's so many guys out there running online. And we review a lot of them. I mean, yeah. I, if I had to tell you the hours and hours that we do researching the online shows, because we're trying to get ahead of that, yep. um, those guys have to be careful and understand that um, they do have a responsibility to put out good content. Right. Um, this is a sport that is shrinking. Um, we, we have a hard time attracting new people to the sport. And I would say, uh, this, this is probably maybe going to be a controversial part of the podcast, but um, I guess I get to say whatever I want, right? That's right. Um, one of the things that television, for the most part, has done a really good job of, and you'll hear, you, you'll hear guys get on Facebook or Archery Talk or whatever, and they'll they'll really bash. They'll bash, you know, 
oh, that guy's, you know, um, he's only talking about this product because they pay him. Right. right? Um, well, uh, I'm sure Jimmy Johnson drives a car because Doritos put their name on the side of it. Right. You know, absolutely. It's what makes the world go around. That's right. And, um, and hunting, at least, um, there are some folks out there that are trying to generate revenue mm-hmm. um, that when companies are able to be successful – Okay, they make big donations to things like Whitetails Unlimited and QDMA and Ducks Unlimited. Um, so I would caution, I would say this, um, at least the television shows, um, and maybe part of it's with the network, but they've put out for the vast majority good content. Yeah. Um, by the most part, clean kills. By the most part, care for an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, showcasing hunting in a very positive light. For sure. And a lot of that's made possible because of the manufacturers who spend dollars and they hold them accountable, right? So, right. you know, if you're, um, if you're a Leupold, um, y- you know, you don't allow somebody you're paying to take a running headshot at a deer at 150 yards, right? Right. Um, they're held to a certain accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think overall that's great for our sport. And so I always try to, um, let's say – throw the other side of the argument when guys say TV hunting on TV has ruined our sport. And I say, no, wait a minute, let's back up. It's actually, I think helped our sport because at least it's always showcasing it in a positive light. Right. And at the same time, that's what we have to be careful of with these digital guys out there. Um, because anybody can have a digital show, right? Right. You just pop your stuff up on YouTube and, um, we can only hope that with this rise of a lot of digital producers that they take that same responsibility because nobody's governing them. Yeah, you make a real good point. Um, and we don't ever want to allow our sport to be um, under attack right. any more than it already is. Right. So um, so that, that's kind of my two cents. I, I love watching these all these new digital shows pop up. Um, I've seen a lot of them that scare the they, – <laughs> they, they scare the bejeebus out of me. I mean, they really do. Right. Um, and I say, man, if the wrong guy gets a hold of that – um, you know, you look at what happened with the Bowmans. I yeah. mean, um, that was a huge deal. Now, fortunately for them, um, the hunting community came out in, in drones to support them. Right. Um, but that does speak a little bit to being responsible for what you put out in public domain. Right. Um, and, and I think we just have to be ultra sensitive to that because of the, you know, we're in a blood sport. Any way you look at it. Some, somebody died or some, somebody, so, yeah, <laughs> something dies, <laughs> something dies. Right. Right. And, um, and we have a responsibility as hunters that we always showcase that for what it is, you know, and why we're doing it and, you know, the, the background of it. And, um, so, you know, that's, I guess that's my, my controversial part. And I've gotten into, uh, you know, I try to stay off of the social media arguments and things like that, but there's been a couple of times I'll, I'll pop in and, and say, you know what, no, wait a minute. Let's, let's try to look at what the, the greater good here is. Yeah. You know, most recently, females, you know, females in the hunting industry has come up. That's a huge hot topic. Yeah. Um, and I get it, right? Like, I'll kill a 180-inch deer if we want to measure success on likes, okay? Yeah. Um, I'll shoot a 180-inch deer, right, and I might get 100 likes or maybe yeah. 200 likes. And then you'll see that um, good-looking gal, and she's got her bow in her hand, right, and she gets five, six, seven hundred likes, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll see guys get just angry about that. Like, like, you know, she doesn't deserve that or or where right. the case is. And, and I always try to play that devil's advocate and say, no, wait a minute, that person, that model, that whatever, um, they put a bow in their hand, which is risky for them and themselves, right? It's right. a lot easier to, to go model shampoo. Um, but 
they're out there showcasing the sport in a really positive light. Right. And in that situation, I look at it and say, man, if that gets, you know, one teenager to say, wow, like, I want to be part of that community. Right. I want to go buy a bow. I want to learn how to shoot it. And I want to start to experience what's out there in the woods. Then I'd say maybe there was some good that came out of it. Right. If there was one little girl that instead of flipping through Sports Illustrated and looking at a swimsuit model and saying, I want to go wear a bikini and have a photograph taken of me, if they say, wow, I want to be in the hunting industry because that girl looked really cool in camo and she shoots a bow and she's like, she's a badass, right? Right. Then I say, well, wait a minute, that might be good for our sport because we have to start figuring out something to attract mm-hmm. younger um, hunters, younger shooters. Um, younger outdoorsmen and women, we better start to figure it out because we're in a shrinking industry right now. Where does a marketing company like Rubline play into that role? So one of the things that um, we talk a lot with our clients about is is um, creating excitement around the brand. Right. Um, now, if I can get you excited to try a product, okay, um, you're already a hunter, and that's right. great. You're a consumer. You're buying product. You're buying your tags. You're, you're putting gas in your truck to go to your farm and hunt. Um, so we've already got you, right? So right. The, the trick there is is to get you to try something new to maybe make your life easier, maybe have more success, have more fun, whatever. Um, but where the real magic happens is, is um, let's say um, you put that new bow in your hand and you just go, wow, this thing is so easy to pull back. Um, it just makes, um, it, it made, made my arrows group tight or whatever. And you hand it to your buddy when you're done with it and say, this bow has been great for me. You should try shooting. Right. And you attracted one more new person to the sport. Um, I had a bow um, uh, most recently, and, and uh, a friend of mine, his, uh, his son was really getting into bow hunting. And he had an old, you know, he was telling me the story. He says, yeah, he's, he's kind of frustrating because he's kind of really outgrown that bow. And um, I just hope he doesn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't have the money to go buy a brand new bow. Right. And I hope he doesn't lose passion for it, but he's getting pretty good at him. He's really trying. And the technology was older. And I said, well, here, here's my two-year-old bow, which the technology is still really, really new. I said, give this to him. He shot a deer with it. And the first thing that dad did was text me a picture with him. And his son's like got this huge grin on it. And, yeah. and uh, you want to be able to try to keep um, the younger generation, you know, involved with the outdoors. And um, that means you know, doing anything you can, whether it's gadgety type stuff, right? Because let's face it, like, you know, our kids, they run an iPhone like nobody's business, <laughs> right? Um, and there's there's products out there today that that maybe they're a little gadgety to us older hunters. But think about that. If it's if it's something that's really cool and it gets them outdoors, let them use a gadgety thing. Yeah. Um, you know, let them use that um, that vapor powered wind indicator, right? Cause mm-hmm. it's cool. It's fun to play with. And it still serves that same function as throwing a piece of dirt up in the air and seeing which way the wind blows it. Right. Um, if that, you know, bow has a 90% let off and it makes it an enjoyable experience for them to shoot, let them use a 90% let off bow. Right. And oh my gosh, you and I are in Iowa bring up crossbows, right? Right. It's like get burned at the stake if you bring up a crossbow. Um, but you know what? So what? Right. So what? If it brings that many more people into our sport, um, I promise, I promise all your listeners this, you're not going to shoot any less deer if crossbows get into the sport. But if it attracts more hunters, that's more dollars and tags, 
that's more um, products being bought off the shelf. That's just more opportunity for us to continue our way of life. Right. And that's just to get out and enjoy the sport. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'll probably come in Monday and like all my clients are gone. They're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you said crossbows were okay. And um, the, the state of Iowa is going to find my office and like burn it down or something. You but, have a lynch mob out for it. Yeah, they're going to, yeah, they're going to come out. <laughs> but um, do I shoot with a crossbow? I don't. Um, I personally don't find the enjoyment in it. Right. Um, but I also don't think I know everything. And I think if, if this guy does, I don't want to be the guy to tell him that he shouldn't be able to do it. Right. Um, I haven't done this yet, but I'll tell you, it's, it's a, another bucket list item. I've always wanted to go down to Texas Mm -hmm. and shoot a deer with an AR. I don't, I don't know why. I just think it would be fun. And, um, you know, the, the guy next to me might say, you know, oh my gosh, you want to, you know, use an AR to shoot a deer. And I said, absolutely. I want to try to figure out how I can load that grain up heavy enough and make an ethical shot on a, you know, Texas 185 inch whitetail. Um, and I want him to say, well, that's not for me, Mm -hmm. but Hey, that's cool. If you want to go do it. Right. So that's where I think, um, and even if you translate that back into marketing, I think that from the products that are out there, we have to have an open mind about everything and say, not every product's for every hunter and that's okay. Right. Um, but know that at least they're manufacturing products in a sport that we love. Right. Um, and take that for face value. Right. My buddy's dad once told me if it feels good, do it. Absolutely. So I, I guess a little bit more thinking. That's that. great advice. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, he also liked, uh, seven and sevens too. So <laughs> you're gonna have to introduce me to this guy. He's all right in my book. <laughs> So kind of going back into your business mm-hmm. and in marketing, let's say I come up to you and I say, Chase, I got a product that is going to revolutionize the hunting industry. It's I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, our phone rings about 40 times a week with that. No. <laughs> and I, I pull out of my pocket this broadhead, right? Yep. It's, I don't know, it's got jet propulsion or right. something like that, right? Yep. And you look at it, and the first thing that pops into your head is, ooh, that is the shittiest thing. It's like, I hate to be rude, sir, but you, that's the worst idea I've ever seen in my life, right? Yeah. You don't tell that to people. No. But do you take any company that comes into your door, or do you have say, okay, I look at the product, I identify there might be a niche for it somewhere, whether there is or not, then I take that next step and, and try to market it. So I'll, I'll actually relate this. It's a, you asked a great question, and right as you started to ask it, this story pops into my head. <laughs> um, so uh, I had a client come to me once. that uh, This was back in 2015. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll let your viewers figure out who it is, okay? okay. Or your listeners figure out who it is. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, and I turned them down. Okay. Uh, I turned them down not once but twice. Um, they were real persistent and um, – the second time um, that they came in, I, I, I started to think maybe I shouldn't have said no. And the reason was it was a very technology-driven product, and it was a technology I didn't understand. Um, okay. I didn't – I should say not even just that I didn't understand, I didn't believe in it. Okay. Um, and I always say that if I don't believe in a product, I can't effectively market it. Right. Um, now, do some I believe more than others? Absolutely. But I still have to, at the core, believe that the product will work. It will help a hunter. Um, it will revolutionize their hunt or whatever the case may be. So this particular client, I didn't understand. And they said, um, would you be willing to, to drive to Kansas and take a look at it and meet with my team? I said, all right, I'll, I'm going to do that. I, I owe it to you. Um, so I went down there 
and they put the products out on the table and they explained how they worked and they really dove into and they said, you know, um, this is what we want to accomplish. And, and then all of a sudden it clicked and I couldn't, I couldn't sign on fast enough because all of a sudden, um, they marketed it to me enough. They touched me enough with what they were trying to do, what they were trying to accomplish, what the solution was um, for the problem that they were trying to solve was. And then all of a sudden, about the third touch, I got it. Uh, that company um, is probably the fastest growing company in the outdoor industry right now. Thank goodness we're a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God I said yes. And um, it, But it took me a little while to understand it. So I try to not just look at a product once and make a decision. Right. Um, do we say no? Yes, we say no a lot. Um, and it's not even always because it's a bad product. Like your example, it's jet propulsion. You're saying this is stupid, right? Right. There are definitely those products that come across our desk. Um, and we're gentle about it, um, right. obviously, because you don't ever want to kill somebody's passion. Um, several famous inventors, you know, they had a tremendous amount of flops before they came up with the light bulb, right? That's right. So you try to be gentle with that. And, um, and frankly, sometimes we're wrong. Um, we turn something down that we completely miss the mark on. And that's just because we're human and we have our right. own opinions and everything else. But um, the saddest part is not that. The saddest part is not um, the bad product idea that one guy thought was cool. The parts that are the most disturbing is when the great product comes across our desk and they don't have any money. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that cause us to lose sleep at night. And that that is not a... a you know, cliche thing to say, it is a true statement in this office. Um, you know, big Mike in our office, yeah, he fields a lot of those calls for me and he'll come into the, to the, my office and he'll say, man, look at this. Like this thing is amazing. And the unfortunate part about it is, is I have to say, you know, do they have a budget? Do they have investors? Are they backed? Um, because the greatest products in the world don't get out there without some sort of financial backing. Right. And, um, yeah, I'll be honest with you, Dan, those are the ones that have us lose sleep at night because there's just, there's, there's huge companies out there with billions of dollars, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, can market frankly junk. Right. Um, and, uh, and do well with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, you know, we've all bought, um, you know, I'm sure, did you have a slinky when you grew up? I did. What did a slinky serve as a function <laughs> to hit my little brother with right exactly <laughs> i mean half the time right they, they, they show a commercial and it perfectly goes down the stairs right I, maybe it was just my house but evidently our stairs were always too narrow or they were too <laughs> wide because a stupid slinky never worked that's funny um but how many people bought slinkies right? right um i think of rubik's cube too i never did get those stupid colors to all line up on the same thing but i was the guy peeling the stickers off absolutely to try to put them back on the other <laughs> Look at I've got an all black Rubik's cube. It right. always is right. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and the t- the tough ones are is just the great products out there um, that don't have the dollars to drive through and and get somebody to try. Right. Um, those are tough. And and you you try to what we try to do is we do try to align them with maybe some investors or we try to um, you know have them partner up with another company. You, you do whatever you can to help, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, so many of those just. Um, they just they just go by the wayside, right? So and that's truly unfortunate because one thing that I've seen with a couple companies in the hunting industry is you have a product that really isn't going to change the world, but they have money 
yeah. behind it. Absolutely. And when people are enthusiastic mm-hmm. and they have money, they can do great things. And, and what I've never used a rage broadhead, right? Mm-hmm. But I'll call this the rage technique right. where they just saturate advertisement with as much. And I've heard rumblings of how much that company spended, spent in advertising. Oh, yeah. It's not necessarily a game changer product, so to speak, but they pretty much bought a segment. They did. Right. So is it possible? I mean, obviously it is with in that example, but is it possible to have a product that is just average, maybe even a little subpar and through marketing, you're able to gain traction? Absolutely. I think um, that you can absolutely buy your way into the market. Um, now, that being said, um, we'll use Rage. Um, Rage is a great example because uh, they're, they're one of those companies that would never hire us, right? They're right. so big. They've got right. teams of guys like us. So I think I'm pretty safe I can talk about <laughs> If you them. burn a bridge, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm probably going to light the bridge on fire right about now. Um, and, and here's what. I, I can talk about it because I've shot them. Yeah. Um, I shot Rages for many years. And I bought into that marketing, right? I had to buy a Rage because, well, everybody shoots Rage. Right. Okay, so why is Rage still around? Why are they still successful? Did they buy their way in? Absolutely. Um, do Rages work? Absolutely. They cut a really big hole on entry. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were able to survive after they bought that segment because of the fact that people had success with them. Um, but you'll also hear a lot of Rage haters, right? Right. Okay. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to, I'm, I'm a finance guy at heart, right? I'm right. a numbers guy. Um, and then let's compare that to, um, you know, maybe a much, much smaller, um, broadhead company. I'll throw out their, um, company we've done a tremendous amount of work with is uh, dead ringer. Right. Okay. So very, I mean, tiny, tiny company compared to a, to a rage, um, rage sells millions of heads. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you'll have a lot of people say, well, rages don't work, but is it they don't work or is it because if you sell 1 million broadheads, your percentage of failure, let's say is 3%. Right. Okay. So at 3%, 30,000 people, whatever, have that experience. Right. Um, well, what if dead ringer sells 100,000 heads? Yeah. Okay. You never heard about a failure. The bottom line is, is, is when we talk about broadhead specifically, right? It's the business end of every arrow. Okay, it's the first point of contact on that animal. You can have failures. I don't care if you're a fixed blade. I don't care if you're a mechanical, whatever. Um, so, how did Rage survive? I think that it still works. Yeah. Okay. And um, I think, can you have a failure with a Rage? Absolutely. Could you have a failure with a dead ringer? Absolutely. It's a law of numbers. Right. Um, and the more and more your product gets out there, you're going to hear about it more. Uh, but to go back to what if you have just a substandard product? Um, so I would call Rage a standard product. Like they, they meet the minimum standards, right? Right. For the most part, they're always going to kill your animal. Uh, for the most part, you're going to get a really good blood trail and you're going to find your deer. Um, although I do love the memes that go around the internet that says, um, um, don't worry. Uh, oh, you shot it with a Rage. Don't worry. We'll find your deer someday, um, <laughs> you know, and, and poor, you know, it, um, they earned, they earned the right to get picked on. Right. Cause they just became huge. Right. Um, and it's really a compliment to them. They, yeah. they did a phenomenal job in marketing. Um, 
I've got a good buddy that I hope listens to this because he's going to know who I'm talking about when I say this. He always says, um, Raid, shoot him in the middle, find him in the morning, right? Because <laughs> um, they do. They cut a really big entry hole. <laughs> Micah, that one was for you, buddy. I um, am going to use that. I'm stealing yeah. that. I'm stealing that. That's that's my good buddy out of Pittsburgh, Kansas. He always says he shoots Rage because he says, I just shoot him in the middle and I find him in the morning. Um, but no, so um, let's go back to the substandard product. So I think you can buy a segment. I think you can buy your way into the market. Um, but I think for the ma- for the vast majority, hunters are really smart people. Um, for the vast majority, they're blue collar. Um, they have a limited amount of disposable income and they're balancing that um, with family, right? Um, other hobbies, church, kids, um, you know, school, uh, they've got to balance that disposable income with a lot of things. So right. I think for a limited amount of time, you can buy your way in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the hunter is the ultimate, um, you know, equalizer, right? right? That no matter how much money you throw at something, if the product doesn't work, they're going to, they're going to expose you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're going to win. Um, and they're going to win in a big way and they're going to throw you out of the market. Right. They're going to, they're going to refuse to buy your product. Right. And the interesting thing is, is, uh, when I call them the ultimate equalizer, um, we don't have enough new participants in the sport to com- to continue to be gullible. Right. Um, so that I think, um, companies have to be really, really careful of, um, because they will not have sustainability. Right. Unless they're a buy and flip type model where they want to build up a company, sell it to a conglomerate, and get out of get out of Dodge, right. um, they're not going to be in business very long. Right. So, so I want to talk about the hunter, right? Me, you, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, the guys listening to this podcast. We have the guys out there who. I guess let me back up. I'm going to ask you a very vague question, and that is. How do you market to the greater "quote unquote" hunter? Um, are you talking about the um, extremely experienced guy that that is an expert? Let's let's use the law of averages. Okay. All right. Let's talk about. You know, I think the first time I talked with you, we talked a little bit about the eighty twenty rule, yep. right? So. 20% of the hunters are probably spending 80% of the money in the industry. Right. And then you have the 80% who are the people who are, you know, the, I hate to generalize it because there's a little bit of everybody in every category. You got crossover, but you have the lone wolf right. guys who buy lone wolf. And then you have the guys who buy their tree stands at a, you know, like a Menards or, Menards or something right. like that. Right. And nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. But there's two different groups. Right. Obviously, uh, companies, companies that you represent want to hit as many people as possible. So how do you put together a campaign for the average hunter? The average hunter. Well, so um, once you identify what that average hunter looks like, because every product's different, right? Right. Um, I tell you what, I'll pick out, um, I'm going to pick out, how about two of our clients? And we'll kind of compare strategies on both of them. Is that, yep. That, that might be kind of fun. Um, so I'll start with one of our clients is, is um, Expedition Archery. Okay. Um, uh, we, they probably don't like that I say this, but um, Expedition is a, I call them a boutique, right? Right. Um, they're very, they're very custom. Um, they're very limited um, type edition. You know, they don't just, they don't run them off a of press and, mm-hmm you know, ship them out to dealers. Um, every bow is shot, tested, make sure. I mean, there's a ton of, ton of time, which of course increases their cost of goods. Right. Um, and they 
have the exact same price point as a Matthews or a Hoyt or any other flagship type bow. Um, their strategy, and I think it's a good one, um, and we've really enjoyed working with them, um, but their strategy is, is extremely simple. Uh, they don't do anything flashy. They don't do anything crazy. They let the consumer decide. Like Their entire strategy is, here's our bow. Here's our logo. When you find us, shoot it and let us know what you think. Right. Um, and that's worked well for them because what they did is they took that hunter, that average guy, and they said, we're going to empower you, okay? We're going to just let you decide after you've shot 15 different bows which one you like best. And when we sat down and we worked on that strategy, um, we said, hey, the, the hunter is educated, right? The, the target market that you're going after is an educated market because they, they're making the conscious decision to, to drop a 1000 bucks on a bow. Right. So we're going to bank on the fact that they've done their own homework. We didn't have to force feed it to them. Um, and that, that's one way that a company can do it is they can, they can really just empower the buyer. Right. Um, now, to do that, you better have a dang good product, right? right. Um, and then another company, which is <clears throat> really exactly on the opposite end of the spectrum, and, and we love – actually, I just flew back from Tennessee this, this afternoon right. to meet with right. you. Um, I was down there with those guys. And um, so Cherokee Sports, right? I'll give you a little background. They've been around since 1992. Okay. Um, they have been making uh, – they started – you know, <laughs> it blew me away when we first started working with these guys. They make um, inflatable – decoys okay and f- i've seen those blow up like you literally just you th- they scrunch up in your pack you're ready to go turkey hunt and you blow them up and you stick them out in the field right right and so when we sat down with those guys and they you know they were um they were at a peak for a long time and then they kind of um, plummeted and now they're on their way back up and we looked at that and we tried to i said well, you know who is your consumer and they said you know our consumer is that 80 percent now maybe that 80 percent only spends 20 percent on the market right but they said, we believe that, um, you know, the guy doesn't need a $100 decoy to kill a turkey. Right. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Dan, I didn't really believe it at first. Um, I said, really? Like, you really think you, an inflatable will kill right. a turkey? And we started working with him right about um, spring turkey time. And I said, ship me a few. I want to I use these for myself before right. I go all in, right? I had one of the best turkey seasons of my life. It, it was unbelievable. And so we sat down, we started talking about marketing campaigns. And I said, you know, what I think that we need to do is we need to quit showing these things in the box. We need to quit, you know, showing them this compact little deal, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can shove four or five decoys in my satchel and go out and hunt. But I says, I think we need to show these in a really beautiful light. We need to put them out in the field and take the high res photos. um, And we need to push it out to the consumer and show them what the end looks like. Right. Right. Um, because we want that 80% of guy to say, wow, that's a beautiful decoy. And then they see the price and they go, whoa, this is one fourth the price right. of an avian X or a Dave Smith or, you know, all these beautiful carvings. And, um, so I think you kind of have to know who your target audience is and then try to appeal to those guys. And, um, with, with Cherokee, we had to do the opposite of expedition we had to really shove it in the consumer's face and say, Look at how great these are. Look at how many animals get killed because of them. Um, look at what they do and how they act. Look at the way the wind blows because um, different than like an expedition where that buyer is going to do so much research before they drop that thousand. This consumer, you needed to get them to stop and go look for it. Mm-hmm. 
and already know what it did. Because if you just right. saw it in a box, you'd say, no way am I right. going to try an inflatable decoy. Right. Is this a pool toy type of deal? Exactly. Yeah. One, of the, um, one of the guys that works there, um, one of the owners of Cherokee said, uh, before he was an owner, he was a user. He was stuck up in Canada. I, he got to tell me the story. It was really cool. Um, and uh, I think it was their trailer got stolen full of decoys. So they yeah. ran to, like, the Canadian Walmart and – and they were buying up, and the only thing they had was these inflatables. And I think they were maybe goose hunting or something or duck hunting, but um, it was all they had. Yeah. They had a great hunt. Ducks and geese were flying into their decoys, and the guy ended up buying into the company. He goes, I just bought a trailer full of decoys for one-fourth the price. I've got to take part in this company. Yeah. So it really comes down to you know what the audience is that you're trying to reach right. and how much information you have to give them. Do they have access to research it on their own? Um and every product is so different. I mean, when I look around, uh, I look at, uh, you know, one of our, our favorite companies is Scent Crusher. They, you know, they went out and they said, well, this is great. Um, their um, ozone mm-hmm. um, technology has been, has been um, educated to the public by Ozonics. Ozonics has done a, a phenomenal job, I think, yeah. um, from a marketing perspective. Ozonics did a great job of educating the hunter on what ozone does as a benefit. Right. And so then Scent Crusher was able to come in and say, hey, all we need to do is get our message out that says we use ozone in the back. Yeah. Um, because these guys over here paved the way and they did a great job with it. So then you take a company like that and then that was, hey, it's ozone with a storage device. Right. Um, so you knew that you had to tell your consumer, guess what? You can keep all your clothes in this. Right. So the message was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look around this room and I look at all the different clients and, um, advanced tree stands, one of the things when we started working with those guys is, is, um, I hung a stand and, uh, the first thing I said is I said, wow, this stand feels so much safer to hang because I'm not carrying up an entire stand. I'm just carrying up a stem. Right. And so that, that message was, look, I'm 40 years old. If I fall out of a tree, I'm not healing as fast (laughs) as when I was 18. Right. Right. And we really went after that of the three-step system. Hang the stem, right. then put your platform and your seat on um, because it's a safer way to hang a tree stand. And I, so I think diving into each product and understanding your audience and getting it out there, um, you can't go as general as just the general hunter. Right. I think you have to go specific message and then take that specific message to each hunter. Right. So. Right. All right. So now – Let's flip the script here, so okay. to speak. I want to talk to you as a consumer of hunting gear, not necessarily this marketing genius, right? Mm-hmm. So as hunters, how should we look at products? How should we find the product that is best for us and really look past what you do right. for your profession and look directly at the product? All right, so... Um, this is probably a pretty unconventional answer, but, um, I am a, I'm a romantic at heart. I will tell you, um, I am a sucker for a great story. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of, let's say I'm going to, I'm going to pick a product that, um, I don't have any ties to. We don't, we don't represent any, um, bow site manufacturer. Right. So I'm going to pick that product just because, um, I don't have any uh, ties there. So, you know, you're sitting in my office and, and you see um, there's two types of bow sites up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Spot Hog and HHA. Okay. Um, those are two of my favorite bow sites. 
And why do I use those two? I, I have to purchase them. Like I'm a consumer. Yep. Um, they both have just really cool stories behind them. You know, like a spot hog, for example, you know, it's a second generation and, and uh, the sun's running it. And, you know, there's, there was so much passion and, and um, dedication to their product. Um, and they have a really, really cool storyline. I found, I found, uh, I'd never shot a spot hog before. I shared a deer camp with him in Mississippi quite a few years back. And, um, his name's Josh and, and Josh and I just got to really talking and, and, uh, I heard his story and man, I bought in like, yeah. um, I loved the, the family business story. Um, and I guess as a consumer, I wanted to support spot hog. I just, yeah. I, I loved his storyline behind it. And, uh, I met the guys at HHA at a, a Pope and young event. And I mean, from top down, those guys work events, they, they sit at trade show booths, um, they have a tremendous amount of passion behind what they build. Right. Um, and so for me personally, as a consumer, I am a sucker for a great storyline. Yeah. Um, because let's face it, you know, we're in a, we're in a sport that's full of passion, right? right so, for sure. um, I guess that's, that's a lot of it. Um, uh, Cirrus, uh, you see the big Cirrus banner here up on the wall. And, and, uh, I met Jim a few years ago from Cirrus and he, you know, he has such this awesome story of this Michigan, you know, deer hunter chasing these tiny little Michigan deer around, you know, and, yeah. and fighting the crowds. And, and he goes to Texas and he's in a, he calls it a, his target rich environment. And half the time, um, he and I will be, uh, talking business. And the other half is we're, we're swapping stories. And he's like, Oh, I think there's going to be, um, some pigs showing up, you know, in the backyard here in a little bit, I'm gonna go set up a ground blind and, and see if I can shoot some pigs. And, <laughs> and, you know, he's got a great storyline and, right. um, the guys over at scent crusher, you know, um, Dan's one of Dan's favorite things he always says is he said, um, uh, well, I built about three businesses that failed first and then I found one that worked, you know, and, yeah. um, he literally broke himself, um, and then built himself back up and, and, uh, he has a really fun storyline. And I think that, um, both in the business side and myself as a consumer, I'm a sucker for a great story. Right. Um, and you know, I hope maybe one day, like maybe my son will, uh, take the business over or whatever, or maybe he'll have some great stories of the struggles that his old man had and, and some of the successes that his, his old man had. And, and I think that's really in life, what you, that's all you really have to leave behind. Right? right. Nobody cares about the money you leave behind. Right. Um, you know, frankly, have I killed some great deer? Sure. But nobody other than myself, I care right. about the story behind that deer. Right. Um, but when I'm gone, um, you just hope that some of those stories are good enough that somebody will repeat that and maybe how, it tied into sure. that life. So yeah. I think that's probably why I say I'm a romantic at heart and I'm a sucker for a good story. If the consumer does the research, mm -hmm. um, I can hope that the marketing puts the company in front of them, mm -hmm. um, interests them enough to do their own research. Gotcha. Um, I think any marketing company that goes out and tells a client that if I put this ad in for you, the consumer is going to run to the store and buy it. I think they're feeding their client full of baloney. Yeah. Um, but I think if you can get it out there enough that they'll say, hey, I want to check that out a little bit more. And the company's got a great story and they're real and they're passionate and they created a product out of a need. I think the, I think the hunter in all of us will hunt out those type of products and we'll use them. And the 
best part about it is, is we're all talkers, right? For sure. We'll share that with our friends, our family, our fellow hunters. Right. And um, how many times have you sat in deer camp and either bragged up your bow that you just bought this year that you love, mm -hmm. or you said, man, I bought this bow a few years ago and I hated it. Right. I mean, right. we are, uh, as hunters, we're the best marketers out there. For sure. And that's where the responsibility goes to the manufacturer. They better build a, a great product because right. if they don't, it's going to get around, and their their lifespan is going to be really short-lived. So, long story short, you can be the greatest marketer in the world. You can have a, even a great story that goes behind your product. But if your product doesn't perform, the consumer is going to find out. Right, you're out. You're out. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Well, I tell you what, man. It has been one hour and ten minutes. It went fast. I know. I could sit here forever talking this <laughs> with you. I just remember college for me was booze and girls, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and I had one professor, and I took every one of his classes because he it was a marketing guy, and he related everything to real-world scenarios. So the, I just hope that the people who listen to what you said today kind of, you know, next time they're looking at a product, say, okay, Take your time just because it has a, a big buck on the package or, right. you know, some hunting celebrity is endorsing it. Look past that and try to identify if it's a good product or not. Yeah. So I will say this. I, I have to give a, a big shout out to a lot of the television um, and, and even the big web, call them celebrities. I hate right. that word, but yeah. personality is what we like to say. Um, I got to give those guys a lot of credit, though, Dan. I'll tell you that um, I would say – when we go to seek one of those guys out, because let's say maybe their their style is a fit or their show is a particular fit with that product, right. um, I might have in my career one or two that have said, yes, I want to do it. Yeah. And I've had the vast majority of those guys say, you need to get me the product. I need to use it in the field. Right. I need to see if I can stand behind it. Right. Now, we work with a, a pretty nice select group of television. Right. So I won't say to your listeners, that's all the shows. Right. Um, but I will say, at least in our experiences, the guys that we've worked with, whether they, um, I like to think most of them enjoy working with us. Right. But I will tell you, they cut us no favors. It's right. not, no problem, I'll endorse that, send me a check. Mm -hmm. um, they, um, they run the product through the ringer. Yeah. Um, and I have had products in the past that they have flat out said, sorry, I can't, I cannot back this. Right. Um, maybe it was because they didn't like the product, but uh, maybe it was because it just didn't fit in their hunting scenario. Uh, but for the most part, those guys, uh, they do a really good job of making sure they can stand behind it. I think the consumer is more critical of them because there's more and more dollars that are required right. to run a television show. So they have to endorse more products. Right. But um, for the most part, um, those guys do a really nice job. I think the industry polices itself fairly decently, um, and there's not just random endorsements out there. These guys, they have to, you think about this, they have to kill deer mm -hmm. to get people to watch their show, right? Or kill bear or gator or whatever they're right. doing. And if they're out there with a product that doesn't work, their longevity is done mm -hmm. because they're not going to be successful killing an animal. Right. Um, so... We're in a great, I'll end it with this. Um, we are in a phenomenal industry that does have dollars going through it. Yep. And when dollars can go through a sport, 
it typically is going to flourish and survive, i.e. boxing, i.e. NASCAR, um, you know, uh, cage fighting, whatever it is. If you can get advertisers and products and endorsements flowing through, um, that sport's going to flourish. Right. And if you don't believe me, ask yourself, why is cricket not played in the United States? Because there's not a single advertiser that's going to back a cricket game, okay? Amen. Um, so um, I hope the listeners, um, you know, they embrace that a little bit right. and, and um, just know that it's, it's, it's not just a, an industry full of hokey stuff. These are right. passionate people that are just like them right. that came up with something in their garage, much like probably a lot of your listeners have ideas right now right. that they go, man, I would love my buddies to use my product hunting. Right. So. Yeah. Chase, I had a blast. Thank this you. This is for awesome. Out. First mobile uh, podcast. I did it in uh, your shop. Yeah. Uh, the back warehouse. That's right. We're going to definitely have to do it again. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed it. Um, it was, uh, I, you know, I don't get nervous. I think there was two times I've been nervous. One is I had to speak in front of my son's high school. Um, I was a keynote speaker and I thought, you know, why am I nervous? I, I deal with guys, you know, in boardrooms and, you know, all these things. And, and I was nervous for that. And, and I'll be honest with you, I got off the plane uh, coming back from Tennessee today. And I was like, I've never done a podcast. Like, I'm, right. a, I'm kind of a little nervous about this. <laughs> so, but we survived it. And I thank you so much for coming up and, and letting us be your first mobile. For sure. All right. Well, if I don't see you again, definitely have to get you on the show. And uh, good luck this upcoming season. You too, man. Thank you. And this Monday's podcast is in the books. Huge shout out to Chase for inviting me to uh, the Rubline Marketing Headquarters and uh, having an awesome conversation with me. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Without you guys, uh, this doesn't exist. And a huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast, Ozonics, Wasp Archery, Gearhead Archery, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Exodus Trail Cameras, and Ripcord Arrow Rest. So huge shout out to all those companies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you guys want to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, go do it. Uh, if you like the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review. And other than that, if you are up in a tree, hanging a tree stand, doing something, anything, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.